This is Professional Life Crisis. I'm your host, Amanda. And by now, I'm a damn near professional at having a life crisis. Coming from the girl who bought a corporate-sized whiteboard, like legitimately the size they have on the wall in your office, to map out all her future career options, I know what an emotional roller coaster your early career can be. And I don't even like roller coasters. This podcast is here to help you get through those messy, uncertain times riddled with ramen noodles and self-doubt. If you're an ambitious, curious young professional trying to pave your way in the world, it's not as scary as I once thought it was but I really wish I'd had someone to tell me that. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming to record a guest episode with me, Jay Wong. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. For those who don't know, Jay Wong, Jennifer, and I met at our past startup where we were both working um, for about a year. I don't know. I was there for, for nine months. Okay. I was there for about a year and a half. So maybe it, on average, it was it felt, about a year. It felt like two years though. You're right, right. The startup world is a time warp. Like it's so different. Yes. I'm so excited to have Jay Wong on today to share all about her experiences as a designer. So Jay Wong, I would love for you to just introduce yourself and tell the world, like, what do you want them to know? Or what do you want them to think about Jay Wong? All right, well, what I hope everyone takes away about me is that uh, I love to live my life authentically, enjoy being unapologetically myself, and I encourage everyone else to do that too, to be uninhibited. I think that played a critical role in me landing my recent role, which is a senior product designer at Netflix. So that's what I'll be doing next. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. Awesome. So excited for you. Only like five weeks after us both getting laid off, you had an offer signed, sealed, and delivered, baby. Yes. Now pretty cool. I'm going to eat, pray, love, and travel, and chill. Love that. I love that. Where are you headed? I'm headed to Portugal, Morocco, and Spain, and then I'll go to Asia to go to Japan, Hong Kong, um, and Taiwan for, love it. for international traveling. That is an awesome use of the time. I'm so excited for you. And uh, hell yeah, we know I'm a big proponent of the eat, pray, love. (laughs) Yes, all about it. All about it. So I would love to hear about your experience. I had my side of the story when we both got laid off on the same day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would love to know about how that resonated with you and how it affected you both like the day of and in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I was very blindsided. I thought we would do fundraising and everything would go swimmingly. But I, I do think that for the company, they, they did the best they could with the information that they had. So I honestly don't have any hard feelings. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's their loss. But, uh, you know, I, I no hard feelings. And I, I know it's hard to move on and think like that. But I'm happy I was able to. And I... I think how I was able to kind of make peace with it is I just took a step back, looked looked back at the past projects, how much I grew. I mean, I think I grew more as a leader than I ever did. So I think that's kind of how I was able to process the layoff. Uh, but of course, first day was, was rough. I was definitely very shook. Uh, my body was numb. I didn't know how to respond 
the call that I remember talking to you right after we yeah. had a phone call like right after it happened both of us I forgot I did call you <laughs> yeah you probably yeah. blacked out <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was definitely hard to like concentrate because it, it it just the way I would describe it it felt like the world just stopped and it was in this uh what is it, like twilight zone like you're just in this zone and you think that this isn't real I mean I thought Am I am I dreaming? Is this real? Cause, I thought it yeah. wasn't. Like I I knew it was real, but then I also went through that questioning of did that really just happen? And then when we talked, I was like, yeah, no, it, it did happen. <laughs> like, That's true. There's no denying. It. Yeah, like like I'm like no no no. Jay Wong and I talked about it. It definitely happened. Um, I I agree with that sentiment too. Like I have no hard feelings about it. Um, somebody asked me as chief of staff, if Mm -hmm. I was surprised or if I knew that the layoff was coming. And it's hard to answer that question. I feel like I knew all of the statistics about the business. I knew how we were tracking. I knew that we weren't going to meet our revenue targets in order to tell a a positive story for fundraising. So in my head, like I I had all the information to come to the conclusion that Mm -hmm. I might get laid off, but I don't think I ever went so far as to think I am going to get laid off. So I can't say it came as like a huge shock when it happened, but I was still really surprised. I I can't really explain the dichotomy of that, but even having all the puzzle pieces to pull that information together, I still was very surprised. I think nothing can really ever prepare you. It's like, even if you if you know, it's still going to hit you really hard no matter what. Yeah. Yep. Totally. So before you got laid off, I'm sure there were some highs and lows associated with the whole experience of working for less than a 10 person startup. I certainly had many. So what were some of yours? Yeah, I'll start off with the highs. I think that working at Boyce was unique in that I mean, I got to work on front end coding. I mean, I volunteered myself and and the CTO was like, yeah, sure, we'll just get you set up on uh, GitHub and everything. And I, I like that. That was such a cool moment. Yeah, it was a cool moment. And I think we were all here to help each other. Even I know when you uh, needed help with marketing, um, I really appreciated that one of the engineers was like, hey, like, let's let's hop on a call and let's brainstorm. Yeah. I love that everyone was willing to help each other out, even if it wasn't our specific domain. So I absolutely love that. Um, I think the other things that were highs, I working on such an innovative product, even though it was very hard to market this AI communication code, it's so hard for people to understand. It yeah. was, we were trying to push boundaries. And I think to be a part of a company that really cared about leading the industry, not a shameless plug. I mean, in all honesty, I really care about working on innovative technology. And I think this is, this was a place to be. So I absolutely loved what we were building. Obviously, meeting you was yeah. definitely a huge high. I know. I met some of the most amazing people through working there. And, yeah. like, the fact that we have this friendship now and that we're recording this podcast now. I know. It's very telling. So, for the lows, it's one thing to start your own company and be the founder, right? Uh, what I didn't realize was how hard it would be. When they're founders, they're, they're very opinionated, and rightfully so. This is their baby, and sometimes they're really going to be opinionated about one direction, but maybe you try to propose another. Um, so one thing I try to learn how to work with opinionated founders is just understand where where they're coming from. They, they have 
their opinions, they're probably not completely baseless, right? I tried to see that there was some positives in some of the, the views that they had and I, I think I worked hard to think about how could we combine some of our opinions or our, our viewpoints and come up with a solution that would marry all ideas. But that was a rough process to learn how to do that and be, and be patient and, and very empathetic. Um, I think other lows were just the, the change of pace. It was a lot of frequent back and forth and then, okay, one minute we're doing this and then the next minute we're doing another. Right. Yeah. Things would change like every three days. <laughs> I feel yeah. like they say <laughs> in startups, you can never plan more than like a month or two out. I feel like we could never plan even a week yeah. or two out because every like three or four days, yeah. we would have some new direction or have uncovered some yeah. new information that made us switch our viewpoint on a specific thing that we were working on at the time, which was a roller coaster, honestly. It was. Honestly, like the Poise 2.0, well, I think, was the probably the best we did in sticking to a strategy and mm-hmm. or it was multiple strategies, but sticking to something and promising to do it. Yeah. For anybody that is not familiar for the inner workings of our startup, yeah. um, this was a complete overhaul of the product how it provided information to users. The design was completely overhauled. It was really the biggest shift that we made in that entire year and a half with the product. Um, And Jay Wong did the pioneering of the redesign for that, which was amazing. And I do think it was one of the only times we were able to really stick to our guns about a certain hypothesis and like run with it for a couple of months and not half-ass it and ship it and then wonder why it didn't work. Because that was a lot of the MO. I feel like we wanted in good faith to experiment and to learn things quickly. So we would just ship things before they were really going to provide enough user value. But then we were always surprised when we measured the user value and it was never really there. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was a really big high getting to work together with the team and commit commit to something, which is is very hard for startups. The highs were great. I feel like we took away so many learnings Mm -hmm. and especially that experience over the summer when we overhauled the product was Mm -hmm. like one of those, like we climbed the mountain kind of moments. Um, But the only reason that we even got to that stage was because just a couple weeks before that, like everything exploded. Um, Oh yeah. I'm sure you remember the offsite where everything just came out. Um, We were leading that activity together to get to the root causes of some of the reasons why we thought that we weren't going to be able to accomplish our goals, which were very lofty. Um, it's like, it feels like a fever dream a little bit, (laughs) but I'm curious to hear your perspective on how we got to that breaking point. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people ask like, oh, how did, how did you you pull off this overhaul? And like, how did these conversations happen? And I think my answer is actually kind of a simple to a degree, right? It was just, we had a lot of organic conversations, one-on-one conversations like, hey, um, I'm not feeling like quite motivated for these reasons. And we would discuss about it. I think that's kind of where it started off. I know I was feeling really fatigued um, and it was hard for me to work harder. And I think the notion at the time was, can everyone just work harder and faster? And there would be disappointment if we didn't. And so I think it was yeah. just being honest and being candid. And I think you just have to do that when you're, when you're working with people. There's, there's, you know, don't beat around the bush. like Especially at what was <laughs> yeah. maybe, I don't know, a seven-person company at the time. <laughs> you really have to be 
upfront and you do have to be authentic and There's you have a lot to of express. Time. Yeah. Yeah. You have to express your blockers, the things that are bothering you so that the entire team can succeed, including you. Yeah. I, what I really loved too was that around the offsite, you're like, all right, Jay Wong, um, why don't you do this activity where you get us all to talk about our feelings and, and thoughts? And it's like, whew. Well, you're the obvious pick. Because <laughs> yeah, like, you are so authentic as a person and you have this gift about you of pulling out other people's authenticity as well. And I knew that you would be an amazing facilitator for that event. Yeah, I'm happy that you included me. I think it just kind of came organically. Um, I had ideas about what we could do and you're like, yeah, well, let's do it together. It was pretty good. I think I learned a lot. I learned that if we're going to have these discussions, like read about how to not accuse people of things. Like how do you use I feel statements or avoid saying I feel like you don't care. I think it was a great time to learn how to have this kind of like a therapy session in a way that was respectful. And I think we did get to the root of it. Part of the reasons why we weren't motivated is because we would just change direction all the time. Our features were half-baked or just very inaccurate and I think this also was a really big point in my career because I learned that design, marketing, whatever it is, you can't build a great product if your team's just not motivated. They're not going to put in the time to do it. You know, they're not going to take the time to challenge you. They're just going to roll with whatever someone says and that's not... Which is basically what it looks like to throw in the towel at a startup, I think. (laughs) It's like you don't stop working, but you stop coming with your opinions and fighting for your viewpoint and like trying to get to the truth. You just say, yeah, okay, sure. I'll build whatever you ask. Like, Yeah, and that was how it was. Yeah. We were all just getting to that point where we were a little bit disconnected, unmotivated. Yeah, I think for people to do their best work is... Well, not to believe that they just need to work harder or faster. It's really uncovering the why, right? Just like if you if something in a product isn't working, you ask why. Well, if something isn't working with a team, like ask why. It's it's actually a very simple question. Right. Ask why. How are you feeling? What's causing you to feel that way? And I do appreciate that eventually the leaders were able to, to listen to us and be more empathetic. And we also learned, I think, I didn't realize maybe how much pressure they were getting from um, from investors. And so I, you know, I think I also learned to empathize like where their pressure was coming from. And it was just trickling yes, down. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And I remember specifically after that activity that we led together, we had all these sticky notes up on the walls in our Airbnb that we were staying at for the offsite. And we took pictures of it all. And then on the flight home, you and I asked to sit next to each other. Specifically, like, we changed <laughs> yeah, our we seats on the flight. Oh, yeah, we did. So that we could like collaborate on the write-up of that whole activity and come up with what we thought were reasonable action items to help get the team more on track. And I will never forget doing that on that flight home with you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we we're able to, like you said, respectfully uncover the issues that the team was facing in terms of motivation and the optimism to work towards our goals and the belief that our goals were even realistic. And the company wound up making a lot of changes after that. Honestly, like some people left and we sort of reshifted. And then that's how the Poise 2.0 proposal even came about. And that's how we wound up working on that for the whole summer was like, what are the new viewpoints? What do we think we need to build? What's going to be more valuable? And with those new voices sort of coming to the front of the room, 
I think we were able to come up with what was a really great project. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty common in a lot of companies and, and just my experiences too, where engineers or design, they are, are handed problems. It's, it's, very, it's way more common than it probably should be. And I love that this time around, we would go into brainstorms and everyone's voices would come out. And I, I think when it comes to leading, it's, it's just where even if you're not the one leading, I think everyone plays a role in saying like, hey, Amanda, or hey, so-and-so, like, what do you think? Sometimes people might feel withdrawn because they don't feel comfortable. But I think we just got to celebrate everyone and celebrate each other. Yeah, it's awesome. So after you got laid off, tell me about what happened next. You just landed an amazing job opportunity at Netflix, which is, I'm so happy <laughs> for you. Like, truly, you are the, one of the most incredible people and designers I've ever met, and they're going to hugely benefit from having you on the team. But how did you go from being laid off and five weeks later having a job offer in hand? Yeah, well, it. I, I think for me, I'm okay with delayed gratification. I know a lot of people are like, Jen, you know, I take time off. And, and yeah, I was, I was honestly planning to take time off too. I thought, oh yeah, I'll just come back after travels and apply to roles. Fortunately, um, you know, our, our last company let us have access to company files. So I was able to look at documents and peruse them and have the content to actually work on my resume and my portfolio. So I just thought like, I only have a month to do this. So I might as well take advantage of this. And I'm okay having delayed relaxation. So that's kind of how it happened. And I saw a job posting, which I was very excited, but unfortunately closed. But you know, hey, it, it got me to interview for other companies. And I think I found something that like aligned more with me, which was Netflix. And how I just started working on this really quickly, I had a pre-planned trip to Japan that my boyfriend bought me for my birthday, uh, non-refundable. <laughs> So, <laughs> love that non-refundable flight. So uh, yeah, sorry, can't start till after I get back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we just decided to keep it, and I thought, well, I could just try to find a job offer by this time, and that means I gotta start working now. And yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Um, but I was still able to have breaks in between. But I think most of all, I really prioritized myself. I think it's easy to think, oh, I got laid off, I'm going to either, you know, relax or I'm going to work so hard, I'm going to shut myself in a room, I'm not going to see anyone. And that's not at all how I got here. I think balance is really key and that's how I felt refreshed to even write interview responses or um, do my portfolio. So I, I think I really just encourage anyone who gets laid off to just have a healthy balance. You, you can be successful and also take time for yourself. Oh, that's great. I've heard from so many people who have been laid off or who have left their jobs recently that the job market is just so hard right now. It's so hard to find good roles. So how did you find this role at Netflix? Did you apply? Did you know somebody? Did you meet with a recruiter? What was the process? Yeah. Um, so my mentor, he, I call him my mentor. He, I mean, I've never actually like met him in real life, but he, we actually both worked at Procore at different times. So he was working at Netflix at the time, but I had already built up a relationship before then. Um, so he had had already guided me through different parts of my career journey. I even had this, um, my design bootcamp business had a scholarship and he was on the scholarship committee. So he was able to see how it already works. So that's how he put in a good word in for the referral and that really helped. 
And I think it's important to build relationships and that can lead to referrals, but I don't think anyone should ever be like, I'm only gonna be friends with this person so I can get a referral. Honestly, the relationship with Juan was so natural and that's kind of how it happened. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like one of your strengths is connecting and you make connections with people with no hidden agenda. Like you no. just want friendship. You you made friends with I, our users. You <laughs> made friends with people you meet in the coffee shops. Like, oh, I went to this art gallery and I made a friend and they're going to come. Like, you were always yeah. meeting new people and I feel like it's really genuine with you and people can, can tell that. Um, but that's amazing that your mentor was able to help you get introduced to the right people and to refer you for a job role. Um, the power of the network. It is so true. So if you found yourself in the situation where you had to work for another highly opinionated founder, what would you do differently? And if there's anything you would do the same, what would you do to be successful? Yeah, I think it's asking questions in the interview. I would ask them, when was the last time that you received feedback from your direct, your direct report or others? And how did, how did you react? And how did you take steps towards improving upon that feedback? and listen to the response. If it's extremely vague, that's probably not a great sign. I mean, we're always working on how it could be better, so it shouldn't be that difficult to come up with something, right? So that's, that's the reason for why I think it, it shouldn't be too vague, um, and if it is, it's probably a red flag. And another one um, I asked in an interview, I'm, I'm so happy I did, I asked, what are ways that you try to empower your direct reports? Because you, there are so many horror stories about how managers just want to, you know, steal all the credit and it's it's all about them. And you just listen to what they say. I mean, for one of my interviews, when I asked, the hiring manager mentioned that, well, I've been in this role before. Like, I really can empathize and I, I would make sure that I put you in the right forums and the right places that so that you shine. And I really like that she had a direct response for that. So... Definitely ask that question because these people, you're really going to affect your time working at wherever you are. Yeah. I think a good manager can really make or break your experience at pretty mm -hmm. much any company. I've had great managers at companies I didn't love. I've had mm -hmm. worse managers at companies that I did love. And I think it takes a big toll on you as an employee when you're not feeling empowered, you're not feeling motivated and lifted up by your manager. I just saw this great post on LinkedIn mm -hmm. just this morning about um, a great manager who basically helped their direct report through something really tricky. It was like very technical and the direct report didn't know much about like how to do a SQL query. And the manager basically taught them how to do it, walked them through it, like spent the time, like sat with them and taught them. And then when it came time to present this part of the project to the whole company, they gave the direct report like all the credit, said like so-and-so wow. did XYZ, this was amazing, this was the impact that it had, like so thrilled with this project. And really the manager was really guiding and leading that person through it. But I think like that's the kind of manager that you want to find. It's like someone who will teach you, mentor you, lift you up, and put you in a good light in front of other people. Like, that's such a gift. Yeah, I think this sounds like a bit like servant leadership. Like, you're here to, to serve your direct reports, and yeah. that, and you lead by doing that. Um, lead by empowering the people you work with. I, I think those are some of my, my favorite leaders. Um, shout out to Danny Storley, 
Uh, she was my manager at Procore, and she was the queen of doing this. And I, I think that's what made her so great. And she was really respected. I think sometimes managers think that, oh, I have to be super hard on my direct reports so I gain respect. And I, I disagree with that. You can be empathetic, you can be kind, you can be supportive. And I, I actually would argue that you get more respect. Yeah. Because it doesn't come from a place of fear. It exactly. comes from a place of compassion and connection. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. So since the time that I met you, you've had this amazing design coaching and mentoring business. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious to hear more about that and what is your philosophy around design and teaching people and all the amazing work that you're doing with your coaching program. Yeah, I have uh, a lot of thoughts on that, but I'll start off uh, for some context as to why I built this. So I was going into grad school and I needed a side job. Uh, so that's pretty much how I decided to create this design bootcamp business. And my philosophies around this is, uh, yeah, I know a lot of boot camps get a lot of crap for just being too high level and watered down. And I wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to be my business. For me, education to me needs to be highly personalized and it, it needs to feel realistic. So yeah, I made sure to incorporate my actual work samples, just my real life experiences where I struggled. I mean, I talked about a lot of my hardships I just kept it 100% real. I did not tell anyone like, oh, design is fluffy and you're going to get a job right out of school like this. I mean, I I think it's just my philosophy is just who I am as a human being, but also in education. You just got to be real. You can't beat around the bush about things. It's going to be hard. And my curriculum is, I mean, a difficult curriculum because if you want to go out there in the real world, I mean, no one gives a crap about designers, you are a second class citizen. And I had to tell them, look, I'm training you to weather that storm. I don't want you to hate your job because I've had situations where I hated my job because I just lacked the knowledge on how to push back against stakeholders. And I thought it was everyone else's fault at the time. I I just didn't know how to advocate for myself. And so that's why I made sure to teach them product strategy very young in their careers, um, how to how to collaborate with stakeholders, things that are honestly like probably more intermediate or advanced concepts. But my take is, I don't want you to hate your job. So I'm going to teach you the things that are going to empower you and like help you enjoy your job more. Amazing, valuable advice. And I know your students have become like lifelong friends of yours, yes. and they have found so much value from working with you. They've gotten jobs at amazing companies. Um, which is really cool. You've talked before about how you didn't want to scale the design business and you didn't want to make that your full-time job, even though you probably could have. What was your reasoning for that decision? And what's what's -hmm. your philosophy around teaching and coaching? Yeah, so at the time, so many people mentioned, oh, you can hire a bunch of teachers and you can scale this and you can make so much more money. And I honestly, I just felt like the conversation was so much around money. And I don't know, maybe that's why I'm not a natural born entrepreneur because that, that a lot of it is that focus. Um, but that's just not where I wanted to take the business. I could see this scaling. I've seen a lot of online coaches do this, but I'm very, very passionate about hyper-personalizing the cur- curriculum. And I just felt a bit nervous about just, you know, taking in anyone as a teacher, I would have to train them, they would have to embody the values and understand like the work examples I was giving. That was just a lot of mental energy for me to take. But ultimately, I didn't want to water down my curriculum. It's people do the boot camp because of me, they they love my story, or they're interested in it, and they want to learn from me. 
So that was also something I was really mindful of. And if I did a mass market business where I reduced more one-on-one -on -one time, they're just not going to grow as much. And personally for me, I love building relationships with my students. I, you know, I went the opposite direction of mass market. I increased the one-on-one -on -one time. And I wanted to do that because that's what students felt like they needed more of. And I felt like that's what maybe I needed more of. I, I want to connect with my students. I consider them like my friends and, you know... I'm sure a ton of people would say, don't be, don't be friends with your students. But you know what? I am friends with them. I think that actually made the design so much better because they were able to be open and honest with me. Like, hey, Jen, like I'm, I'm struggling right now. I'm having a hard time in my relationship. Uh, one of my students just wrote a testimonial and she said, yeah, I was, I'm able to come to Jay Wong about all things design and my relationship. Because I think just to only talk about design, that's such a small facet of our lives. I think our personal lives impact the way we design and, and, and our progress. So I just think scaling the business would have taken away from that holistic, personal kind of relationship that I really like. And I also got a full-time job, so it wasn't like I needed to have another job. At that point, I was mainly doing it just because I, I like building relationships. Yeah, I can attest to that. Um, your students are all over doing amazing things and I think it is so much due to that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship that they got to have with you and that personal mentorship. So I know that this is probably a very surface level question as compared mm -hmm. to all the depth that would be contained in your design coaching program, uh -huh. but if you were giving advice to someone who were getting into this field for the first time, where would you tell them to start? What advice would you give them? I would say the advice is to start with yourself. I think the easy thing to do is to look online at all the things you need to do and you're going to freak out. You're going to look on LinkedIn and you're going to compare yourself to other people and you're going to feel demotivated. You need to get in the right mindset and tell yourself you are a designer. So many people, I, you could have a graphic design major and people still are like, I'm not a designer. I'm like, what? You have the most related major. You know, right. I studied studied sociology and everyone just like shat on me for doing that. So I, I'm like, you know, give yourself credit. You have to come in with the mindset before anything that, hey, I am a designer. You got to manifest that. I've been a designer my entire life. I've been a badass designer my entire life. Yeah. I've been designing since I was a baby. And for me, before I actually started studying design, I design activities, I design a retreat for like an itinerary for our co-ed entrepreneurship fraternity. There's design is design is everywhere and it's going to be so limiting and a, a very tough journey if you just jump into all the things you have to do and you feel like you're never going to get there because you feel like you are enough. So first off, have the mindset that you are enough, you can do this, you are a designer. And so that that's what I would say. Yes. Yes to that. Oh my gosh. I am going through a little bit of this sort of imposter syndrome myself and realizing that people will respond to you the way that you present yourself. Oh yeah. So after I got laid off, I started positioning myself as a freelance marketer and I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to say that I am one. I'm going to post about it on LinkedIn. I'm going to start talking with founders and eventually I will become one. And I'm in the process of signing my first client right now. And I think so much of that is getting over that mental hurdle of how mm -hmm. you see yourself, but yes. the way that you 
talk about yourself, the way you portray yourself to others is exactly how they're going to respond to you. Yeah, I'm so proud of you for for jumping into this headstrong. And I think that you have so much to offer. You were already doing marketing before you you do have that experience. And I'm so happy you're able to cross over that biggest hurdle of not believing in yourself. Yeah, I'm proud of you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think getting laid off lights a new fire under your belly to just make you make decisions faster and to go after that next thing faster and say, well, I don't really have time to do this whole imposter syndrome thing. <laughs> I just, gotta, go. I just, just gotta, gotta go, for go for it like now. So in a way that actually helped me to shorten that time gap that I usually would have with like thinking about an idea and how much I wanted to do something or I wanted to call myself a certain thing, but I didn't feel adequate or I didn't feel ready. And it's the same thing with this podcast. I just decided, you know what? It's time. I'm just going to do it. And now we're here doing it. I think I love that theme about the time is now. I, I think it's really common for people in their careers to think, oh, no, 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 later. Or I'm just, uh, I'm stuck doing this forever. You're, you can change your mind in a drop of a hat. I mean, it might be a little bit different if you, you know, have a family, but let's just say you're young in your careers. You want to do a podcast? Do a podcast. You don't want to do a podcast anymore? Don't do a podcast. I, I do think that we oftentimes just lock ourselves into these ideas of like, well, we have to stay here forever or we can't do this. And you know, I, I tried doing different business ideas, right? My product design on bootcamp. I, I co-founded a mental health startup. And you know what? It didn't work out for, for different reasons, and so I'm trying something different. Um, and maybe I won't want to do that anymore, and I'll go back to a startup. Okay, I think having that mindset that anything can change, the world is your oyster. And, like, nothing yeah. is catastrophic. Like, if you yeah. make one decision, it's not permanent. Yes, I like, think that's huge. I talked about this in my first episode where I feel like in the generations that came before us, Mm -hmm. they had this very clear idea that you were going to graduate from college, you were going to have one career, you know, maybe you'd switch jobs like two or three times throughout your career. But like, you'd have this like one central theme of your career. And that's what you would just do forever. And when I started in consulting, I like found that there was a lot of cognitive dissonance with that experience, because a I didn't like it. And Mm -hmm. b I felt like I'd made this like eternal decision. And like, Fuck that. It's not eternal. You can change at any time. You can reposition yourself. You can learn new skills. You can do a boot camp and change careers. Like, it's not so set in stone. And I think we have to stop thinking about it like it's this, like, very straight line path and think about it more as, like, a weaving journey that we go on throughout our lives and our careers as we grow and we learn more about ourselves and we find what we are passionate about and what excites us. And, like, Mm -hmm. as long as you follow that curiosity and that excitement, you're going to find yourself in front of good opportunities and experiences. I like what you said about following that curiosity and that our paths aren't linear. I definitely, you know, after ending a mental health startup, I definitely worried like, oh my gosh, like no one's going to hire me because I technically didn't work for another person because I'm the founder. And I was just so worried about that. And you know what? Like, I was able to find a job, right, at the company we worked at. I'm, I'm not. I think it was a plus, even. The that's fact a, that you had done your own thing and you had learned your own startup lessons. I mean, that's yes. huge. Yeah. And and now I'm, I'm able to look back and appreciate that the journey was so windy, right? Going from, like, I got into design through starting a nonprofit for foster care. And so, you know, I was doing entrepreneurship at a young age. Uh, that was rough. 
Um, I asked Netflix, like, I'm curious, like, what, what contributed to the hiring decision? And the, the panel really appreciated that I had a really wide breadth of experiences from startups to corporate, from doing my, my own business and like having that startup business lens, uh, that that's what contributed to my strong product thinking. And so hearing that, I think really validated that, wow, like having a windy journey is a plus. I think people think, oh, I didn't study design in college. Or I didn't do this in college. Like no one's going to appreciate that. Yeah, there's going to be some people that are going to be very textbook and be like, you didn't study this, so I'm not going to hire you. You know what? You don't need, you don't need to work for them then. Yeah. Why don't you work for someone who's actually going to appreciate that you have something you need to bring to the table? Which goes to my saying, like, you need to be unapologetically yourself and unapologetically own your journey. You know what? Hate me for my journey. Whatever. You know what? Like, I know that this has all contributed to where I am today and, you know, take it or leave it. Like, yeah, and being able to get a job offer signed and ready in five weeks after a layoff, I'd say you are smashing it, like truly crushing it. How have you felt coming up as a female designer who's, you know, relatively young and experiencing the pressures of working in many different environments? Earlier on in my career, I remember for one company, uh, we were in this group discussion and I actually challenged the way that we were trying to run sprints. Um, it's just like project planning. And uh, a male colleague said the exact same thing. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And then when when I was talking, my manager at that time snapped at me. And whew, it was a tough meeting. I probably shouldn't have said it in this way. I, you know, this is not how al allyship works. But I said, <laughs> hey, like, do you think, like, I, I think that might have been kind of misogynistic, like, the conversation. Obviously. Wow, look at you for calling it out, though. I'm, I'm very. That takes balls. <laughs> I'm very blunt. <laughs> um, I mean, if I could take it back, I would have said, hey, how do you feel that conversation went? I mean, Ask more leading questions. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Or I could have said, hey, I noticed that when I said the same thing, people disagreed. But when so-and-so said the same idea, everyone then agreed. Why do you think that is? Or I'm curious what you think about that. That That's how I probably would have asked it. But anyhow, I said, I think this is misogynistic or very sexist. And actually, one of my coworkers admitted to that. Wow. I'm ha Look, I'm happy that he did. He said, your voices are, they're squeaky. And I, I guess like this person's voice is deeper and more what? commanding. Yeah, yeah, they actually said that. So I think very early on, I learned that, wow, people are not going to take me seriously <laughs> because of my voice, which, which sucks because I can't change my voice, I guess, unless, you know. Unless <laughs> you bring a voice changer with you to every meeting you go to? Oh yeah, but that's hi that's hiding myself. And on top of that, being a designer, you are a second-class citizen at a lot of companies. I mm. mean, no design is so new. No one really knows what it is. People think that I just change colors purple and yellow all day long. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going against female designers. But I think how I've tried to combat that is being more assertive, which I've had to learn over time. And not being able to to challenge others. But yeah, I think being a female designer definitely has its own hardships. Do you feel pressure in your career as a female to accomplish certain things by a certain time and basically achieve more faster? Yeah, absolutely. I remember 
towards the end of grad school and I was thinking, oh, you know, there's a possibility that I'm going to go back to working for another company. And my mentor said, um, hey, I think you would really like design management. I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Like, I feel like I like being an IC. And he could tell that I was kind of getting stressed over that question. And he just said, you are so young in your career. You could always change. And I realized like, yeah, why, why am I so hung up on this question? Do I want to be a manager or RIC? And I realized... And by IC, you mean individual contributor. Yeah, individual contributor. I'm all about decoding acronyms on this podcast because I feel like there's no stupid questions. Um, Thank you. So, okay. So yeah, you were like, should I move into management or should I continue being an individual contributor? And you were like, Mm -hmm. really going back and forth about this decision. Yeah, I was going back and forth. And I realized that I, I was hung up over this question because... Um, at the time I was like, I was 29 and I think it's really common for people in their early thirties to get married, have kids and stay at home and and take care of their children the more traditional view. And while I didn't plan on doing that, I felt, I still felt the pressure as if I had to do that. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. What if maybe having kids is really hard and I do need to forego my career. I want to tackle all the things on my bucket list in my career And so I I think I just felt this pressure to make decisions fast. Isn't that Um, such an impossible standard that they've placed on women that like, if you want to have a career, you need to accomplish so much before you have kids and before your whole life gets uprooted. Whereas men may be in the prime of their career in their 50s or in their 70s. We Joe Biden is president right now. I would say that's probably the crux of his career. And that expectation is just so different for women because our like primary responsibility, I think, as we're seeing in society after we have kids is like, you're the homemaker, you're the caretaker. And maybe even on top of that, you are working, you're working from home, you're sort of doing all the responsibilities of taking care of your family, your house, your children, and working. I mean, that's so hard. Yeah, I I think from what I've learned, it's very common for working moms to put in more work. They're doing more of the housework, the emotional labor, and all these other things. And um, I mean, I definitely have a supportive partner now, so I don't think that would happen. But it's still just, it it is a common part of society. There's some research on this. And I think that just naturally made me feel worried about what would happen. So crazy to think that even in your late 20s, when your career admittedly is still forming and still taking shape that you could feel so much pressure to have like accomplished everything within, you know, the next three or four years. It's just like one of those impossible standards that I think women have either put on by society, by themselves, by some combination. It's, it's kind of unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. That was an incredible, incredible overview of your career, of working at the startup, founding your own startup, running your design coaching business. I would love to close out with the lightning round. It's three questions. They're very short. Some of them are yes or no, or like choose this or that. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. You can use three adjectives to describe yourself at the beginning of your career. What would they be? Ooh, that's a good one. Mm, diva. <laughs> yeah. I say diva because, I don't know, I, I thought that I was always right. Like, I really, I honestly thought that. Um, I heard that when people are in college, that's how they tend to think. Because um, 
But yeah, I, I, I do think it's strange that I thought that way. I don't feel like I'm a diva anymore, but it's maybe it's a young people thing. Definitely diva. Um, to just, um, not naive. I think that I just thought I knew everything like a lot of teenagers do and I definitely did not. So that and I would say authentic. That's the one thing that has really stuck with me for a very long time is to to be honest and to be yourself. I think I don't think I really have changed that much since then in terms of being myself. If anything, I'm just more myself than I ever have. I I put memes in presentations. I put I make stupid jokes. So that's just my humor. That's my way of storytelling. And if you vibe with it, great. If you don't, okay, well, don't hire me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I was not expecting you to say any of those three words, maybe besides authentic. But even so, it's great to know that you have been sticking to your authenticity and being true to yourself throughout your whole career. I think that's amazing um, advice that anybody could take away. Okay, lightning round, question number two. What has taught you more, your failures or your successes? Oh, definitely my failures. And definitely the times that I just cried on the floor thinking the world's going to fall apart. Um, I, I would say for for one of the failures, I think was... Um, was more about my coaching business. When I was starting off, I wasn't great at doing sales. So at the time I was trying to sign on new students and there are people who were interested, but I actually got a good amount of no's at first and I was just crying. I was like, I'm so bad at this. No one thinks I'm gonna be a good teacher and whatever. And you know what? I, I really owe this to my ex-boyfriend. He helped me with this. He's like, Jen, it's I think it's because you're using this sales script or the sales guide. So I, I paid for this design coaching program to help me build a course. And so they gave us this template. And my ex-boyfriend said, look, I just think you need to be yourself and don't even use a script. I think you should have an open conversation. All right. That's one vote for the ex-boyfriend. <laughs> he, yeah. he gets one good thing. I think this was his thing. This this was the, the very nice one. So. <laughs> no, no worries. I think from there, uh, my actual, my close rate was really, really high. It was far above average for someone starting off. I never had any sales experience. And I remember at that time, I was just crying. I didn't believe in myself. I was so scared to do sales. I, I hate having to, like, me, you, you are asking for, for money. So it was very uncomfortable. But instead, I saw it as, you know what? This is my coaching business. You can take it or leave it. This is what I'm going to teach you. What, what's your journey like? And I, I was just more myself. We just would shoot the shit on these calls. We'd have fun. Honestly, most of the time now when people are interested in my business or just like signing on as students, we, I have no agenda. I do not have a script. It's, it's literally just talk to me about your life. What do you need help with? That, that's all it really is. And um, I'm so happy I overcame that uh, because at that time I thought I was... I was never going to build my design business. I thought it was never going to come to fruition. I really thought that. And I remember when I finally got a like a few students to sign, I started crying again. I was like, <laughs> oh no, now I have this responsibility and I don't know if like I'm capable and I'm scared. Like, oh great, now I have success. Like, what do I do with it? <laughs> so <laughs> I went through that. I mean, I think I have a tendency to overthink things. And once I do it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's okay. It's not... It's not as hard as I it's thought. It's not so bad. <laughs> I'm, adapt I'm an adaptable person, so I know even if things are really tough, it'd be fine. But yeah, that, 
I always think back to that time when I was so scared and I thought I couldn't do this or I was scared to have the responsibility. I always think back to that time because um, now it's just a great story about resilience. I know that if, you know, coming into Netflix, I mean, it's, it's a new job, it's a new role, everyone's insanely smart. Yeah, there's part of me that's like feels kind of scared. But then I think back to the examples like, you know what, when you're scared of something, that's not always a bad thing. If it scares the shit out of you, I think you should do it. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I scared the shit out of me doing a lot of the things I did. I said I would never build a startup again. I said I wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. You know what? I did it. You got to lean into that fear. When you lean in, you it, do. It's, it's trying to tell you something. It's trying to teach you something, right? I, I think the whole sales thing was just teaching me to, to be myself, and I can be successful being myself, and I can, I can teach, and I am capable. Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Okay, last question. Passion or paycheck? Passion. I think you can have passion and I think you can have paycheck. But if you have either or, I think that's fine. I think people need to respect each other for whatever side that they're on. I feel like so many people are like, oh, you know, I'm just here to collect a paycheck and work is not my identity. And like, I agree. I don't think work needs to be our identity. But just because someone's passionate doesn't also mean that work is their identity either. Okay, like a lot of people that I know don't even know that I have a, a design business. It's just something I do and I, I like doing and I'm passionate about it and I work after hours to do it, but I don't think it's my identity. So I, I think people have their different reasons for, for doing whatever they want to do. Um, it's totally fine if you're not in love with your job and you're just there to collect a paycheck and it funds your life. But you know, I think people who are passionate shouldn't hate on those people who are doing that. Like, it's one in a million to find something you're passionate about and make mm. a living out of it. It's so incredibly hard. I do not think these people are sheep just because they want to work for a large company. Because I think people in startups sometimes think that, like, oh, you're wor- you're working for the man. You can't think for yourself. You know what? These people, like, who are working for a corporate, like, m- maybe they need stability. If there's anything I've learned from being in a startup, stability I mean, that was just taking for Stability granted. is a gift. <laughs> it, is, it is a gift. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a gift and a curse. Yeah, but there's there's nothing wrong with it. And just like for people who are passionate and want to take the risk, there's nothing wrong with that either. Maybe one point you'll be on one side, you'll be on both sides or, or passion. Um, but I, I personally choose passion over paycheck. And I have, I mean, when I was interviewing um, for, for Poised, I stopped interviewing very early on, even though there was another role that was going to pay me way more because I knew I want to work for a company that... I, I like the product and all these things. And I know people are like, oh, you work for Netflix, so much money. I'm not doing this for the paycheck. Obviously, like, they do pay well, but I chose it for genuine reasons because I like the role and the team. I just think that the paycheck is not worth poor mental health. What an amazing way to close out. Thank you again so much for coming out here. For those who are listening, we are sitting in person, actually, in my house um, in New York. And I am just so grateful that I was able to meet you through our work and that we have this beautiful friendship now. Um, And I just think you're so inspiring and such an authentic person. Um, And that's a really hard thing to come by sometimes. You are also authentic, and I'm so proud of you for doing this podcast. I was listening to your podcast episodes as I was coming here, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's cute, it's it's humor there, and it's real. So I love that we are both real people coming together to create a real-ass episode. So I'm so excited for everyone to hear this.